Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 7th, 2018. The podcast that takes a shower in a parakeet cage. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's flocculate the news of the bogus. We'll start with another example of something leftists say never happens. A woman defending herself from an attacker using a firearm. We've talked over and over again about how background checks put people like Chrissy Noble in jeopardy, and they would have in this case because those laws actually made it illegal for Noble to have the firearm that saved her life. A stranger broke into the pregnant Noble's house, tackled her, punched her repeatedly, and tried to cover her mouth with a cloth. She grabbed her forty caliber pistol from the coffee table and shot the man three times, then ran to a neighbor's apartment and called the police. Prosecutors agree that this shooting was 100% justified, a clear case of self-defense, but that didn't stop them from levying charges against her for illegal possession of a firearm, which could put her behind bars for years. So what did she do? Is Noble some kind of violent person we should worry about shooting up a school? Nope. Her crime was possession of marijuana. She was in a car with some others when police found drugs in the car, and since no one said they were theirs, they all got charged. Most states have laws prohibiting firearm possession by nonviolent felons, and the federal government forbids gun possession by cannabis users and those convicted of marijuana felonies. Violating that ban is itself a felony, punishable by up to 10 years in prison. So nonviolent people who have never violated anyone's rights or displayed any violent tendencies whatsoever can go to prison for nothing more than exercising their Second Amendment rights. But understand this. If Noble hadn't violated that law, she would most likely be dead. Remember this whenever a gun control nutbar talks about how important background checks are. More and more, we're seeing that forensics just doesn't work the way it does on CSI. We've covered before about how some of it, like bite marks, are just complete pseudoscience, and others aren't quite as certain as they seem and need to be interpreted properly, including DNA evidence. We've covered before how DNA is much more reliable at ruling people out than it is at matching them. Also, they're prone to the least little contamination. For years, European law enforcement tried chasing down a serial killer who didn't exist because the DNA found at all of these crime scenes actually belonged to the person who packaged the testing swabs. The methods and standards, and even what qualifies as a match, vary from crime lab to crime lab. People are convicted solely based on DNA evidence when that evidence is inexact and prone to corruption by careless handling. So researchers at NIST tested 105 American and 3 Canadian crime labs. They gave them the DNA belonging to three people and asked for a match to a sample, which was a mixture of two of the people. While most labs correctly matched those two to the evidence, 74 of them, over two-thirds, said that the sample included DNA from the third suspect, whom the testing should have declared innocent since his DNA wasn't part of the sample. But four years later, 
This study has resulted in no improvements to the process of testing DNA samples. The study was finally released to the public with a lot of wishy-washy disclaimers about how this isn't indicative of poor performance across all DNA testing labs and that it shouldn't be misused in court to cast doubt on evidence that probably should have doubt cast on it. And why wait four years to release this to the public? Was it to make sure that precisely that kind of damage control was put into the study? Boise State Professor of Biology Greg Hampikian said on the study, quote, It is uncomfortable to read the study's authors praising labs for their careful work when they get things right, but offering sophomoric excuses for them when they get things wrong. Scientists in crime labs need clear feedback to change entrenched error-prone methods, and they should be strongly encouraged to re-examine old cases where such methods were used. DNA testing is prone to all sorts of small variables, including tainting of samples and handling errors, but it has the potential to destroy lives. Given that, it should be held to the highest standard whereas our government apparently is content with holding it to the lowest standard. I think we've mentioned the five eyes from time to time. They are the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. These five countries have created a consortium where they share intelligence information gained through surveillance, which is a fancy way of saying they've all agreed to spy on each other's citizens. We've talked about this before, the U.S. can't spy on its own citizens, but the U.K. can spy on U.S. citizens and share that information with U.S. intelligence agencies. Yeah, it's a loophole. This is why I don't recommend using a VPN or any other secure service that's based in a Five Eyes country. BoxPN, the VPN I use and recommend, and which you can get by going to vpn.bogosity.tv, is based in the Seychelles, so that's not an issue with them. So, the Five Eyes have issued a, quote, Statement of Principles on Access to Evidence and Encryption, where they claim that their need to spy on people outweighs people's right to be secure. Quote, Many of the same means of encryption that are being used to protect personal, commercial, and government information are also being used by criminals, including child sex offenders, terrorists, and organized crime groups, to frustrate investigations and avoid detection and prosecution. Yes, they always go to those groups, don't they? The thing is, as we've covered, they can't seem to stop terrorists like the Boston Marathon bombers even when they communicate openly on social media without encrypting anything. And they even shut down services like Backpage, which was a great benefit to law enforcement to finding and prosecuting sex traffickers. Hmm, it's almost as if all of this is an excuse and they have another agenda. According to security expert Bruce Schneier, quote, To put it bluntly, this is reckless and short-sighted. I've repeatedly written about why this can't be done technically and why trying results in insecurity. But there's a greater principle at first. We need to decide, as nations and as society, to put defense first. We need a defense-dominant strategy for securing the Internet and everything attached to it. This is important. Our national security depends on the security of our technologies. Demanding the technology companies add backdoors to computers and communication systems puts us all at risk. We need to understand that these systems are too critical to our society and, now that they can affect the world in a direct, physical manner, affect our lives and property as well. He's right. The security of IoT devices and other technologies is terrible enough without government mandating that it should be even worse. 
Schneier has a new book out, the title of which should win him the internet, Click Here to Kill Everybody. In it, he writes, There is simply no way to secure U.S. networks while at the same time leaving foreign networks open to eavesdropping and attack. There's no way to secure our phones and computers from criminals and terrorists without also securing the phones and computers of those criminals and terrorists. On the generalized worldwide network that is the Internet, anything we do to secure its hardware and software secures it everywhere in the world. And everything we do to keep it insecure similarly affects the entire world. This leaves us with a choice. Either we secure our stuff, and as a side effect also secure their stuff, or we keep their stuff vulnerable, and as a side effect keep our own stuff vulnerable. If we are ever going to secure the Internet Plus, we need to prioritize defense over offense in all of its aspects. We've got more to lose through our Internet Plus vulnerabilities than our adversaries do, and more to gain through Internet Plus security. We need to recognize that the security benefits of a secure Internet Plus greatly outweigh the security benefits of a vulnerable one. These governments, and probably all governments, have shown quite clearly that they are completely unsuited to defend us based on intelligence gathered through communications. And not only that, have also shown that we have at least as much to worry about from their spying as we do from any terrorist. And now it's time to denunciify this week's biggest bogani emitter. And Diane Feinstein takes her second biggest bogani emitter, and also previously took idiot extraordinaire four times, this time for her behavior during the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Now, Kavanaugh is horrible on the first, second, fourth, fifth, and tenth amendments, and that should be more than enough to disqualify him in the mind of anyone who understands the Constitution and cares about freedom. The problem is, Democrats like Feinstein can't get him on that because they're as bad as he is, if not worse. So they had to come up with some pretty laughable scandals, including purchasing baseball tickets on a credit card and drinking beer in his youth. Feinstein is the one who brought up very murky allegations of sexual impropriety from 35 years ago, and when it appeared that just blowing smoke wasn't enough to derail the confirmation, they got desperate and actually had the accuser come forward. Christine Blasey Ford recounted an incident at a party when Kavanaugh was 17. The first question is, how could Ford have such a detailed memory about it? Memory is reconstructive, not reproductive, and we've talked before about how even completely false memories can become incredibly detailed in a short amount of time. Those people screaming that it's sexism or whatever to say that she couldn't possibly have that good a recall of it just don't understand how human memory works. Of course, these are by and large the same people who claim that Hillary's lie about taking sniper fire was misremembering, but whatever. Basically, Ford is alleging gang rape. She talked about how she was so worried that Kavanaugh might kill her during the attack and how she had to lock herself in a bathroom and ultimately flee for her life, although apparently didn't think it was important enough to actually tell anyone about it afterward. It doesn't help that the two people she said were witnesses claim it never happened. So here's why we're giving it to Feinstein. According to her own account, she was fully aware of Ford's allegations and everything they detailed, but purposefully waited until the last minute to actually tell anyone about it. This reeks of political conniving and is not in any way consistent with someone who just wants to get the horrible truth out about a dangerous person. 
But as usual, she and the other Democrats just don't understand the precedent they're setting. If they can successfully stop Kavanaugh's confirmation over decades-old allegations backed up by absolutely nothing, what's to stop Republicans from doing it the next time they want someone confirmed? So all of that makes Diane Feinstein this week's biggest bogan emitter. And now let's recalculate this week's Idiot And for the second time, it goes to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a socialist running for Congress who thinks it's somehow possible to fund a socialist platform that will cost $40 trillion over the next 10 years. Her incredibly expensive programs include Medicare for All, which we covered in a previous podcast. So CNN anchor Jake Tapper asked her where all that money is going to come from. Her answers were typical. The first was to tax the rich. But you couldn't get enough money to cover it even if the rich were taxed 100%. The second was even more ridiculous. Quote, when you look at the economic activity that it spurs, for example, if you look at my generation, millennials, the amount of economic activity that we do not engage, the fact that we delay purchasing homes, that we don't participate in the economy and purchasing cars, etc., as fully as possible, is a cost. Okay, let's unpack this. First, we have the claim that doing this will somehow spur the economy enough for the government to raise the necessary revenues. But you'd need to increase GDP by something like 40% to do that, even if you could somehow tax that additional GDP at 100%. Which you couldn't, of course. Empirically, we know that, long-term, it's impossible to sustain revenues any greater than about 15% of GDP, and we hit that a long time ago. The second is that, once again, she just doesn't understand basic economics. She says that millennials delay purchasing homes and cars and whatever, Okay, so what are they doing with the money that they should be spending on those? There are only two possibilities. Either they're spending it, or they're investing it. Either way, that money is already contributing to GDP and being taxed by the government. So what is this, some weird kind of reverse broken window fallacy? Adding insult to, well, even more insult, is the fact that CNN of all people is calling her out on this. Once again, we see that she's an economic know-nothing who has no business being put in charge of a can-opener, much less the economy. So all of that makes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this You Can Get Anything You Want edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv or discord.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate to Shane DK on PayPal, or if you want to use crypto, you can donate at altcoins.bogosity.tv. You can also support Shane DK on Patreon to get the podcast and my YouTube videos early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Frank Zappa. Every socialist type of government produces bad art, produces social inertia, produces really unhappy people, and it's more repressive than any other kind of government. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.
generosity.